0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode eight of our podcast. Today, we will hear from Sarah Fader, owner and coach at Speed Logic, which provides Olympic caliber cycling coaching specializing in speed, power, and strength. Sarah has been an Olympic development program coach for USA Cycling, she managed and directed a UCI professional women's team, and she was a professional cyclist for 11 years. Her accomplishments as an athlete and as a coach are certainly impressive, but what brings her to wise athletes is her work with Masters athletes. Sarah somehow squeezes in a lucky few older athletes into her practice. I personally know two of them who rave about the results they've had. We asked Sarah to join us on Wise Athletes to share her wisdom about cycling training for the Masters Athlete, and in particular, her thoughts about FTP as a singular metric and guide to training. Sarah is not a fan of FTP, and she explains her thinking about what is bad about functional threshold power as a singular measure of fitness and basis for training programming. Sarah has a mature perspective on the Masters Athlete, and she knows how to help the Masters Athlete reach their goals while staying motivated and healthy. She says data is important, but it isn't enough. Listen in as we hear Sarah's background and benefit from her experience and wisdom. As always, Glenn and I hope you find this information helpful in your quest to become a wise athlete. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us on the Wise Athletes Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Great. Well, I know how busy you are, uh, so I really appreciate you taking some time. Uh, the topic for today is FTP, uh, which is short for Functional Threshold Power and why you and your coaching practice don't use it uh, with your athletes. But before we get into that discussion, I wanted to first just kind of go through your very impressive background so our audience will know that you know a lot about this topic and much more.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so go great. ahead.
0: So, here, so I, anyway, I, I've, I've got some stuff here uh, that I think will help us walk through this a little a piece at a time, and you can weigh in uh, as we go through it. So to start with, currently you're the owner and a coach at Speed Logic, uh, which is a coaching practice you started five years ago, uh, in which you provide, according to your website, uh, Olympic caliber cycling coaching, specializing in speed, power, and strength.
1: Correct, yes.
0: (laughs) And I also know, I happen to know that your athletes have had a lot of success with wins at the national and world championship level. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been very fortunate to work with some really talented um, athletes. And, you know, I'm not going to take complete credit for that, but I would like to think I had some role in that happening. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) I'm sure that's true. And I just happen to know that you also work with master's athletes since I personally know two of your master's athletes, one of which is my wife and both of whom just rave about how your coaching has enhanced their cycling fitness and overall health is uh, coaching or working with master's athletes, a big part of your practice, a small part.
1: Um, And you did bring up this question to me earlier. And um, I will say that it's not the majority of the athletes that I coach Um, I would say I have about an 80, 20 split of, um, elite slash more development writers and then also masters athletes about making about 20% of who I coach.
0: Okay, great. Well, anyway, the audience for wise athletes is the masters athlete. And so when we get into your thoughts and practices and advice, we'll want to tailor that, (laughs) uh, for the, the masters athlete, um, you know, but it's possible that we'll have some Olympic athletes listening in here. Uh, I just don't think so.
1: <laughs> you never know.
0: You never know. Uh, okay. So I think that there's a few other credentials that we ought to mention here. Uh, so during the same period that you've been operating your own coaching business, you were an Olympic development program coach for USA Cycling for two years. Is that right?
1: Yes. For uh, sprint track cycling.
0: Nice. And, and I know that I'm going to get to the, your um, professional cycling uh, accomplishments, but before you had your own coaching practice, but while you were a professional cyclist, you managed and directed a (laughs) UCL professional women's team for four years. Is that right?
1: Uh, Yes. And I also raised a child at the same time. So it was a very um, stressful time period, but also I, I learned a ton about, um, how to put it all on your plate and and not come out um in the crazy house from that.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, that must have been an adventure. I I'd love to hear more about that, but anyway, uh, that's not what we're here to talk about today. We'll we'll do that on another one. And at the same time, or in that same period while you were a professional cyclist, you were also a strength coach and rehab specialist while you were a professional cyclist for 11 years. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so that's always been kind of my bread and butter. As you guys know, in the professional women's cycling world, you know, it's hard to survive on that. So, ever since I graduated college, I went into personal training and strength and conditioning. And also, part of my heart is in um, corrective exercise and rehab. And so, I've done that as well. And I've always maintained um, a foot in that world, even while I was racing professionally, even while I was
0: and directing a a uci team so wow you you (laughs) pack a lot in uh well so i'm nearly at the end of what i wanted to mention but before we go into the ftp topic i did want to give you credit for some of the most notable accomplishments and some of these i think came after your professional cycling tenure but still Nice accomplishments. Four-time Masters World Champion. Yes, thank you. (laughs) A former world record holder. What was that in?
1: Uh, The Flying 200.
0: Nice. Four-time Elite National Track Championship podium finisher.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) You, uh, at the elite level, won a world championship in team time trial?
1: Uh, We did not win the world championships, but we took a team to the world championships. So, team. Uh,
0: Okay. Uh, paracycling national champion? Yep. <laughs> Very nice. I do it all. Yes, really. And uh, and multiple wins on the national racing calendar when you were a professional?
1: Yeah, mainly in criteriums.
0: Nice. Well, I guess the criteriums go with the track cycling.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, so that's impressive. Uh, did I miss anything? Get anything wrong? Anything you want to add to that?
1: Um no nope, that pretty much sums it up.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, let's just say you know some stuff. <laughs> All right.
1: I try. I do my best.
0: Yes. So let's get into FTP functional threshold power and where possible let's address let's either speak directly to the master's older athlete or at least talk about the differences for the master's older athlete in your training prescriptions. And just to make sure everybody's with us so far, why don't we just start with what is FTP?
1: Well, FTP is kind of a term that a few people um, made up that has to do with energy systems. It is actually about how the body processes lactate. So it's kind of at that point where you're producing lactate and your body is able to clear it at the same rate. Okay, so that's a lot of people call it functional. Well, that's really what your threshold is. It kind of is above and below the line. But they made up this term functional threshold kind of as an estimate of what they think that you could hold if you maintain that level for an hour specifically. And it is an algorithm. So it's mainly to kind of use it in your training software um, to use it for your zones, or to look at it and and base your training off of it. So if you look at it just as an algorithm, um, you can kind of see where people would jump on the bag bandwagon because it was actually one of the first algorithms we had in the cycling world when power started to come into our realm, right? Before that, it was just like perceived exertion or heart rate and so forth. And so this new exciting thing came about and they said, okay, well, let's start looking at how do we break this down? Let's make a formula. Let's make it make sense. Okay. Well, I think it was it's made in good intention and it has a lot of value for sure in understanding where You can use your power zones and understanding where your fitness is But specifically it has a lot of limitations so I'm not saying you shouldn't use an FTP algorithm I'm just saying you shouldn't only use an FTP algorithm Okay, because you can run into a lot of trouble (laughs) Um, Specifically I will tell you a story, uh, my own personal story um, on how we kind of, I got away from it. Um, And it was because I had a coach who was very, very into numbers, which I love. But sometimes when you get someone who is very, very into numbers, they're only into numbers and they can't get their nose out of those numbers and they can't kind of see the whole picture. And as we know in athletics, um, it's a very – well, it's not a sound science, first of all. It's it's kind of like a science mixed with philosophy and a little bit of art, people like to say. So when you get so, someone who's so just into the numbers, you don't see the athlete as a whole. So I was having my training sp- prescribed specifically off of FTP, which is your hour-long estimate of how long you can hold certain power in the general sense. Now for me... <laughs> From my background I, i'm a very um i'm a sprinter i'm a power-based athlete um so my ftp is actually quite low <laughs> even though i was training 20 hours a week and just training full time and, and doing what i could it, it was low and so what ends up happening is you take this algorithm and you plug in my ftp and it spits out okay this is what you should do your five minute interval at based off of your one hour power this is what you should do your one minute interval at based off your one. Right. So we were running into a lot of issues because my one minute power, if you're going to say that, for instance, it would put me like, I'm just going to throw numbers here, like 250 Watts. Right. But if I were to really get the most out of the workout and what I was capable of, I would be more around like 400 to 500 Watts for that one minute. So it's severely limiting if you have athletes that aren't of a very particular model for the FTP. So some athletes, it actually works. uh, The formulations can work out, but it's a very small percentage of athletes. So I think when it became, when FTP became everything and people were using this algorithm for training across the board, they would put it in these, um, training peaks has a, uh, a training builder, right? So it's easy for coaches to plug in their athletes FTP and then they don't have to go through. I'm, I'm going to say this is for lazy coaches. It's not. It's for busy coaches. It's, it's for coaches who want to be really into the numbers, but it would go out and spit out the numbers that you would need for that particular workout. With no oversight on the coaching part, you could run into a lot of problems. I actually saw this happen again with one of the uh, athletes I was working with on the on the Paralympic side. And um, she's a blind athlete. So she needed a training that was um, on her trainer that was already built in for her. And so the trainer would kind of make resistance based on what she was supposed to do in that workout. And she didn't have to like look at numbers. So the issue was that, again, everything was based off FTP and We were competing in sprinting events. So we were trying to focus on power and work on speed. And she was doing sprints based off of her FTP. And I went and looked at her training and it had her the max watch she could, her trainer would allow her to do was 300 watts, which was mind boggling. (laughs) And so she was doing all this training and she was being limited with her sprint in in these workouts. So it just kind of made me a little bit frustrated. And I realized that people don't always train that way, um, especially in sprinting, but the way that smart trainers work nowadays, um, everybody loves to plug in everything. And so it's like, I want to plug in what my coach told me to do in my workout and then my trainer will adjust the resistance and so forth and so on. And so say I'm giving my person 20 second intervals with 40 seconds recovery based on their FTP and their trainer is making it so that the resistance is based on their FTP, they're going to be severely limited. Right. So that, that is my, my one concern with FTP.
0: To summarize, uh, just to make sure that following you, that it sounds like it, it's a fine metric on average, but for an individual person, it might not work out very well because people are different. some people have a big glycolytic or or uh, you know what used to be called like an anaerobic mm-hmm. power base for you know like sprinters right and those people their FTP would be low compared to say a vo2 max right right type of power whereas the T-tier who's got a big aerobic engine mm-hmm. but maybe a really small, anaerobic glycolytic engine, their FTP is really high compared to their VO2 max. Right. And so maybe at the extremes, just general training plans based on FTP are not going to be great for these people. Right, You need to find that average person, whoever they are.
1: Right. And again, um, I'm not knocking the algorithm and I think it can be something useful for people but it needs to be used in collaboration with other measurement tools. And those measurement tools need to be specific to the individual athlete. Um, again, a coach is, is got to, you know, not only use an FTP test, but they need to be using a max sprint test. They need to be using a one minute max test. They need to be looking at your five minute max, um, so forth and so on. A lot of coaches do. I'm saying in general, the general cycling world is, is very obsessed with this FTP number. And they're like, I'm trying to raise my FTP. And that's great if that's your main goal. If your main goal is to raise your FTP by all means, go and raise your FTP. You just have to understand what you're specifically training for, which is just an hour long tempo, essentially. If you wanna get better at your hour long tempo, great. You know, be a time trialist, do that. But if you want to get better at racing specifically, then you need to look at a variety of elements that are going to make you a better performer. Acceleration, one minute power, recovery in between, you know, these short bursts, so forth and so on. And and that needs to be looked at, I think, more importantly, over FTP.
0: Okay. Well, good. I think I'm getting that. I wonder if, because you've kind of hit on some of what you do like, but I wonder if we could get into the, what do you do like a little more thoroughly to try to understand when you're dealing with a, an athlete and you're trying to give them some structure over time as you help them get to achieve some goal, mm-hmm. what, how, do, how do you provide that structure? Uh You know, how are you measuring progress? So
1: i measure progress in several different ways. Um, when I first start out with an athlete, um, I spend a lot of time finding out their background, first of all, because the point where you start is gonna be very different from someone who's like never been on a bike before to someone who's been racing their bike for 30 years, right? So the, the starting point on what you're trying to achieve is gonna be dependent on that. So. Say, for instance, we're talking about master's athletes. Master's athletes, the majority of them have spent a really long time on the bike. So they generally have uh, pretty efficient pedal strokes, right? They um, Their aerobic systems are really well-developed. They're really efficient. They have a lot of mitochondria. They have all the, all the markers of being able to carry oxygen and so forth and so on. So if we're looking at trying to enhance performance, what we want to look at is, the factors where they can enhance their performance, right? So if they've been racing their bike for 30 years and they've been doing the same thing, you know, they're probably at some kind of plateau and they come to you and say, okay, I wanna get better. Well, the thing about human adaptation or any kind of adaptation is that it's reliant on stress the body, the body senses the stressor, it recovers and then it adapts, right? So if you are providing the same kind of stressor over and over and over and over again, the body says, Oh, this isn't a new stress. Like this is just the same thing I've always done. So I'm not going to be forced to adapt in any sort of framework that's going to make me better. So you have to look at how do you stress the body more? And so does that look like more volume? Probably not for a master's rider, right? They probably already maxed out their volume capacity. They're, they're really well-trained aerobically they you would look at okay well is there room for improvement in their strength is there room for improvement in their sprint the variety is really important variation in training is is shown one of the greatest adaptations for athletes so it could be just looking at what they've done and saying okay now we're going to do it different right the way what i've learned through coaching many different types of athletes not only just cyclists is that Coaching is very, very individually driven. So, you know, Glenn is going to be adapt differently than Joe is. And my philosophy as a coach is to really pay attention to kind of those individual variations so that I can um, change this thing here, tweak it for Joe, change things here, tweak it for Glenn in order to get that adaptation. So what you're looking for here, and I know I'm not giving you any like really good information we'll get to that in a little bit but um what that looks at is giving you what i think would work seeing if it works and then kind of repeating the cycle so it's it's a lot of like in the beginning testing taking what we see tweaking it testing taking it when we see testing and doing it again and again till we find out how your body's responding right And so that could look like one of the things that I test out is like the day before a big uh, performance, right? So it could be, you know, a a big workout or a race, how your body is going to respond to that day before is going to be, is going to have a big effect on how you're going to perform the next day. So I test out different pre-race workouts, right? So some people respond really well to high cadence stuff, it's something to do neurologically with how they get fired up. Some people do better with um, harder efforts. Uh, I do terrible with harder efforts, but I've, I can't be biased on how I do things. Um, some of my athletes do really well and they respond better to the next day with doing really hard openers. Some people uh, do better completely taking the day off. And when I first decided to try this, it was by accident because the person just couldn't do anything. Um, and they had their best result ever. And so we just kept repeating the cycle. And what we noticed is that that's how they respond. So same thing with your pre-race warmup, right? That's going to be very individual. So we use these. I have certain, I have about like five or six different varieties of kind of these pre-race things that I test out in pre-race warmups. And then we find what works and we stick with it. And then you're used to it. You're like, I know I'm always going to do this pre-race thing. I'm, I'm always going to do this warm-up, and I know and I'm confident in it and we know that it works. So that's one of the ways in which we can kind of figure out how to enhance your performance.
2: Great. Glenn? Yeah, this is great stuff because I think a lot of people go online to Internet and they find themselves a training program. They do the training program. You yeah. never get that one-on-one feedback from the coach, which allows them to see these little details, because there's so many writers out there that, well, I got this program online, and I'm doing this and this and this, but it's the coach that looks at what they're doing and says, you know, you're not getting the results, or this workout's too hard, or this workout's not really pushing your system the way it should be. So I think it's just fantastic to hear this from another coach, that coaching is so important than just following a plan.
1: Yes, absolutely, and I have gotten athletes um, who have come to me after getting a plan online and you, typically, they're overtrained because um, they just decided to do everything. You know, they have no feedback on what's, or they'll just uh, miss a few days and they'll put all their intensity days back to back to back to back because they don't understand that they need recovery. And and that is especially what a, a coach is good for is um, having that feedback, having that. Okay, this workout was like really awful, or I just hated this workout. I hate this workout structure, right? And you don't want to do it and you're just like dreading this workout. And if that's the way you feel you're not gonna get the most out of it, right? So I have I asked my athletes I'm like, how how's that workout? How, how do you like the workout? Like did you hate it? Did you like oh yeah, I was like, oh, I never want to do this again. Okay. well, I have a different workout that actually does the same thing. But it's structured in a different way maybe that's more engaging maybe instead of you know like an all-out 10 minute it it looks more undulating so we're still kind of hitting the the systems that we want to hit but it's just it pulls the athlete more into the workout they're going to get more out of it so those are really important things to understand as an athlete that there's always a better way to do it if you're not happy with the way you're doing it now and there is also a A different way to do it you know like any good coach will tell you there's you know there's 10 different ways to to get to the same process right to get to the same adaptation so that's where a coach a good coach will help you as well because they can say okay maybe we should do it this way we know we that what we need to work on. <laughs> Your climbing sucks, but maybe this is a better way to get to our end goal because this obviously isn't working for you for whatever reason. Because you hate it, because it's just boring, because it's not you're more anaerobic than aerobic, those types of things.
0: So it sounds like there's the individual situation of the athlete, you know, their current fitness, their that sort of thing combined with what are their, their individual goal. Right. Uh, and I, and I think you're also talking about, they also have individual preferences. And and at this point, you know, we're talking about the master's athlete, the older athlete, and they've missed their Olympic window, you know, Mm -hmm. or they did it already. And they're, you know, now athletics is a part of their life, but it's not their whole life. And, uh, they've got other things that they've got to do, uh, and maybe they've got other issues that they have to deal with while trying to stay athletic. Uh, I've got a list here of, even though everybody's a little different, sort of archetypes of things that I've heard of. That shoot, I fall into some of these buckets myself, um, and I'd like to get like to get your reaction to how you deal with them. Uh, and the first one would be for the older masters athlete; they don't have all that much time for training uh, mm-hmm. or anything for that matter but you know they've only got maybe 5 hours a week or maybe it's 10 hours mm-hmm. a week but you know yet they want to accomplish something that they've shared with you and so how can you deal with limited amount of time to do training
1: well like i said before um, that's actually a really good problem for a masters athlete to have because um like i said before if you spend a lot a long time riding your bike You've kind of um, developed a lot of those systems that younger kids really need to spend a long time developing. So the young kids would, you know, just do base and base and base and base because they don't have, you know, the the big heart that we, you know, the the lung capacity. Like I said, the the red blood cells, all of the adaptations that we get from aerobic training. Whereas someone who's spent years and years, they've shown that that stuff just doesn't go away. Once you have created those different body adaptations, they're still always present, though you may not be the fittest you've ever been. It's easier for you to get by without base per se. So the things that you really need to focus on aren't that base training. And and the base training is what takes up all of the time, like you don't need to go out and do a 20 hour, you know, you're just do it, you're just working on the same systems you've already developed, you already have that in place. So you need to look at things, what is going to make you better? So if I'm taking someone who's doing word racing or crit racing, I could say, okay, well, <laughs> do we need to work on your tactics? Right? Are you winning races? Do we need to work on your positioning? Do we need to work on your sprint? Do we need to work on your power? Do we need to work on your VOT max, maybe it's your five minute is your limiter. And we can really start to hone in on what those limiters are, right? And by honing in on limiters, you can make huge gains. Some people don't really look at their, like I said, their individual limiters. They just say, okay, well, I'm supposed to train this way. So I'm gonna train this way. Well, what is it doing for you, right? So if you're doing a road race or a crit and you don't know how to corner, Most masters athletes do know how to corner, by the way. But if you don't know how to set yourself up for a sprint, right, you're not gonna win the sprint. (laughs) It doesn't matter how fit you are, right? So if you're looking at overall performance, you have to look at all of these different factors, right? So within, you know, like those five hours, you could say, okay, well, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna work on these tactics. I'm gonna figure out how to better my sprint. I'm gonna work on maybe my power. Muscle mass is huge. For masters athletes, especially male masters athletes, as their testosterone decreases, the the muscle mass gets harder and harder to maintain. Um, And when we ride our bikes, it's not all about um, energy systems. It's about muscular power as well. And you could get a huge advantage by adding in three 20-minute weight sessions a week and really increase your one-minute power. Even your five-minute power has been shown to be increased by um, doing some sort of strength training.
0: Oh, interesting. So even if you're time limited, it still might be to your advantage to not spend all of that time on the bike.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially since you spent all that time on the bike before, right? Maybe you haven't done weight training. Maybe weight training is the thing that's going to really, you know, bring that, bring you to the next level. Maybe it's not, maybe you, you spent years in the gym and maybe you need to do something different, but it's looking at, what have you done in the past? And you probably don't want to spend the majority of time doing things that you've done in the past. You want to say, okay, I'm going to maintain what I've done in the past, but I don't need to spend a lot of time maintaining that. And then I'm going to look at things that I can do to get better. Again, it's that stress response system. It's like, okay, well, what, what do I need to do differently to stress my body so it continues to adapt? Again, if we've always ridden our bike the same way, why would we just keep riding it the same way if we want to get better, right? right. To look at those those ways to get better,
0: which leads me into my second point here that I'd like you to talk about. Talking about in the previous example, the guy with uh, or lady with not a lot of time, maybe the the better way to spend their time is doing high intensity work, you know, or even gym work, building up muscle. But uh, well, these are stressful things to do to the body, and we're talking about older athletes now who recover more slowly. I mean, mm-hmm. at least I do. And so, well, how do you deal with that? I mean, I assume that you, you know that and that you're watching for that and maybe planning for that, but what's your philosophy approach to recovery?
1: Um, so you first want to, um, when you're looking at training, you want to look at training volume, right? You want to look at training intensity and you want to look at training frequency, Right? So we need to have a variation in all of those in order to adapt, but we also need to look at manipulating those three factors based on how the person is recovering. Right? So um, a good example of this is actually uh, track and field sprinters and um, they're known for being extremely explosive, extremely fast, but they recover horribly. Right. You wouldn't want to put a track and field runner on a track for like three days straight and make them do 100 meter repeats. They would just crack. Um, And the reason being is that their system is really, really highly tuned. Right. So it's really, really highly tuned for performance, but the recovery aspect doesn't work. Right. So if you look at the same goes for kind of a master's athlete is you need to look at stressing the volume, the intensity, and the frequency based on how the master's athlete is recovering. It doesn't really matter um, doing like a huge load as long as we're stressing the system enough for adaptation, Um, which with the master's athlete, the the threshold for stress response is a lot lower than say, you know, someone who's 20 and has all this testosterone and all these other things in their life. So um, you just need to look at keeping um, the the intensity can be high, right, to get the stress response. but maybe the frequency goes down and the volume goes down, right? So that would look something like maybe getting in really intense sessions, but twice a week, followed by some good recovery. Um, The frequency, you know, for someone who's a lot younger, maybe they can handle three days or their volume might be higher. So they might be able to tolerate uh, three sets versus like two sets by a master's athlete, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, also the recovery is, um, you really need to be mindful. Everybody needs to be mindful of recovery, but there are certain techniques um, that you can do to continue to adapt, but also recover at the same time. So for instance, you want to talk about the energy system there is the speed, what I call like initial energy system, which is like zero to 10 seconds. Then you go to anaerobic, then you go into aerobic. So what they've shown is that each system will recover the previous system. Before we kind of thought that, oh, when you're sprinting, um, you should just like go as slow as you can and save up and then like recover uh, just really, really slow. And what that ends up looking at is like, you only get like maybe four sprints an hour, but you can actually have better performance if you pair like say like a 10 second sprint with an anaerobic, so like a 30 second heart interval because the 30 second will actually recover the sprint and then you would go into endurance and endurance would recover the anaerobic. I know this is getting a little complicated, <laughs> but what I'm saying basically is that you use certain manipulations to enhance recovery and this is really important for masters athletes. Um, and I use a variety of these techniques to kind of make sure that we're really recovering the system so that we don't leave any extra stressors in there. We, we flush all the metabolites out, um, we just make it easier for the recovery process to happen and so then we can move on with stressing the system again.
0: That's interesting. And so. Are you referring to both recovery within a workout and recovery yeah. for the next day's workout?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. We're always thinking about recovery because we really want to try to minimize, especially in masters, um, that cortisol, that stress response. If you carry that stress response after your workout, if you don't do things properly in the workout, if you don't do things properly, like a cool down, these types of things, then you carry that stress. like your heart rate will be higher, uh, you know, two hours after your workout or so forth and so on. Your lactate is still processing. If we can just hurry up and speed that up, then great. Then then you're on to recovery, your uh, your parasympathetic nervous system has taken over and you're good to go. And then you can sooner, you can add that, that other stressor in. So yeah, that would look like, um, also I will make a note that a lot of people um, think a cool down, Um, should just be as easy as possible. So what they found is that a cool down, at least in your endurance zone, so your heart rate's actually putting blood through your system, will be more efficient than just an easy spin because your blood is pumping through the system. It's clearing the lactate, it's clearing all all the metabolites, and it can better recover that way.
0: Right. I guess that makes sense. It needs needs to need fuel in order to burn the lactate for fuel. Right okay well that's very interesting thank you for that the next thing on my list was related to again we're talking about the uh, the older athletes so we're talking about people who have had injuries in the past or maybe they're injury prone or they've got some health issues or something like that and so the question then with that as a backdrop is how do you balance the specificity of training for a particular type of event, you know, I want to do the triple bypass or uh, I want to, you know, upgrade and win some crits or, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. with the sort of the, again, for the older athlete, just a general health of the athlete. So posture, uh, maintaining muscle mass, whatever.
1: So the training that I do is, The healthier you are as a person, the better you're going to perform as an athlete. And this goes with having um, balance in your system, meaning um, your quads are not enormously bigger than your hamstrings. Your posture is not completely slumped over. You have um, strength in in your back to be able to actually hold yourself up on the bike. You have good core strength which will enhance your breathing. It'll enhance your position on your bike to where you're actually going to be more efficient, putting out power and also um, allowing yourself to get in more aerodynamic cycling positions. So everything that you would do to become a better athlete is everything that you would do to become a healthier person. You're going to, any athlete will tell you that, well, most athletes, I'm not going to say like sumo wrestlers or, you know, like gymnasts, but you're gonna eat for health and that, or you're gonna eat for performance and that's gonna be eating for health. You're gonna approach, um, you're gonna make sure that you get your protein, you're gonna make sure that you get all your good vegetables because it's gonna have these vitamins and minerals that are gonna make you perform better. And those same qualities are gonna make your, um, your health better. They're gonna make your heart not have a ton of cholesterol. You're gonna make your blood pressure better. you are gonna make you recover faster. They're going to make you sleep better. So all of these things, you're never going to performance. In my world, even in the elite world, you're never going to put, like sacrifice your performance for your health because your health is going to enhance your performance.
0: Well, I guess I've heard many times that exercise <laughs> is the best anti-aging drug that exists. There you go. <laughs> well, great. Okay, so the last one that I had, and this one has really got my name all over it. Uh, how do you deal with the the athlete, the master's athlete who they need your help and getting better, stronger, faster for whatever their their goal is? But one of the things that's really important to them, and essentially they refuse to give up, regardless of your training plan, is it better be fun. You know, <laughs> I mean, this is I do this for fun. Uh, I'm not doing other things for fun because I'm doing this for fun. And if you take away my fun, why, you know, I'm, I'm just going to quit eventually here. And maybe I'm, I'm just going to go do my fun and I'm going to just not do what you told me. So riding with my buddies, group rides or whatever, uh, how do you deal with that?
1: So my philosophy as a coach, which may actually differ from a lot of other coaches is that that's like the, one of the main things that I always try to think about in coaching my athletes, because if you're not excited about your training, if you're not motivated about your training, you're not gonna get the most out of your training. So if you're gonna get more out of, you know, hanging out with your buddies on a group ride, you're gonna put more into it. You're gonna be excited about it. You're gonna feel like it wasn't such a drudge to actually get the workout in. Whereas if I were to tell you, you have to go on the road and do three 20 minute LT intervals, you're just gonna hate it. And you're gonna begin to dread putting any effort into training and then you're going to miss workouts and then you're going to not be fit because you've been missing workouts and so forth and so on. And so it has to be fun for anyone, for Olympic athletes it has to be fun because the journey is a long journey. And as masters athletes, the journey never ends. So for us to find joy in our training and for us to find joy in our racing, it just has to be all encompassing. Um, So I really try to, I really try hard to listen to my athletes to find out what things that they like, what things that they don't like. And then it's my job as a coach to find out how to get the best performance gains based on what they enjoy doing. If they just enjoy sitting on the couch and eating ice cream, I don't know how I can help you there, but (laughs) the majority of cyclists are pretty self-determined in that way. So it's just a matter of finding what really engages them.
0: Okay, good answer, good answer. If you'd have said, Fun is not important, why I think we would have been done. Anyway, you had promised that we would get into some more details uh, about your approach, uh, but I wanted to help you get into that by starting with what, you know, essentially like philosophical things or things that you have found have worked best practically, you know, over the years. As an example, do you do lactate tests to find where people's... (laughs) endurance paces and where their threshold pace is or do you just like to focus on heart rate or uh, power or perceived effort or what?
1: Um, no, I think testing is really important and we need to know what zones that we do need to train in. So the testing that I use is like a map or a ramp test. It's, it's what a lot of coaches use to establish training zones when I first start to work with an athlete. And I generally do that with just my new athletes. That helps me establish their training zones, like zone one, zone two, VO2, you know, however you want to call it. Um, and then from there, I look at the results and I set a range. Some coaches like to be more specific with target numbers, but what I found is that having a range of around 20 to 40 watts within a particular zone gives the athlete the ability to vary the workout. If they're having a really good day, maybe they push it towards the the higher end of that zone. If they're really struggling, and they just need to get the workout in, it falls to the lower end of the zone. And then once I've trained an athlete for a really long time, we don't go back and do those tests, because the tests are are really general. Um, I go and I look at their training numbers, I look at how they felt when they when they hit the certain highest twenty minute power that they did, um, what their numbers look like in uh, group rides and races versus training alone, and then I can really narrow down kind of specifically what I'm looking for as far as power numbers go.
0: And on recovery, uh, how are you tracking recovery? Are, are you just asking people how they feel? Uh, you know, do you like HRV, uh, heart rate variability? What? What do you like to do?
1: Um, I think it depends on the athlete. Um, Some people are really numbers and data driven and they really like HRV. And so we use that. Um, I have some athletes who I've tried to use it with and they just refuse. They am like, I don't want to do this. This is all, why am I doing this? This is a waste of my time. So it really depends on the athlete. Like I keep Saying over and over and over again, but that's kind of what I do as a coach: is really get to know my athletes and then make the training specific to them. Um, heart rate variability is really good um, for a lot of ways, as you probably already know, just for to give us indications of illness coming on or overtraining and so forth and so on. But you just need to look at the whole scope. How are they sleeping? Are they just fatigued in general for the day? Do they have a stressful day? Are they fatigued for an entire week, right? So these are the things that you look at. Um, If it's just a day, you know, maybe you add in an extra day of recovery. If it's an entire week, maybe you add in a recovery week where we didn't normally have one planned. Maybe something um, happened in your life that added this extra stress. And then on top of your training, it's just you can't recover from it. Um, I see this a lot with student athletes um, around exam time. I never schedule a hard training week because the stress of school is just too much on top of the stress of training. So it's really um, talking with athlete, looking at those those sleep patterns, looking at how are they feeling and look at also how are they responding to a workout in particular that maybe they've done that workout before. And they've hit the numbers easily, but they're really struggling this time. So I just kind of look for those red flags and then we deal with them as we need to deal with them.
0: Okay, well, thanks for that.
1: Yeah.
0: I have one more question for you. And this relates to the, the not experienced athlete. So the older person who's now trying to get into being fitter, you know, maybe they were a, an athlete when they were in college. Or when they were younger and then they got busy with life and now their doctor is saying, hey, (laughs) you know, you really need to try out this exercise thing and be serious about it. And maybe you need to lose some weight, which all kind of goes together. What advice would you have for the person who doesn't have that thousands of base miles in their legs and in their heart, um, but they really want to get going somehow? What would you say to them?
1: Well, the great thing about working with someone who doesn't have a long training history is that it's so easy to get any sort of adaptation. Um, It doesn't matter really what they do, as long as they move and they eat healthy, they're going to see huge changes. So if I try to take that person and get really specific with them and say, you need to get on your bike, and you need to do these intervals, and you need to do this, you need to do that, there, there could be more time spent just Getting their fitness up like just go on the Zwift and pick a fun ride and just do that ride and and you're gonna adapt so again, I think a lot of people have a a misconception of how that stress system works and they they think the more stress the more load the more adaptation that you're gonna get Which is actually not true. Your body just has to have enough stress to adapt it doesn't know the difference between a little bit of stress and a lot of bit of stress as far as adaptation goes. So all you need to do is stress just enough to get that adaptation. So that for that person, it could be, you know, like just riding their bike for 20 minutes and and they're gonna get the adaptation then recovering then the next time they ride their bike for 30 minutes. And then as you build that fitness, as you start to get their strength up, as you start to get their cardio up, then you can start to get really more specific and targeted with your approach.
0: So they need to be patient, but they just need to start.
1: They do need to be patient, but those are the types of people that are going to see results the quickest. The types of people who really need to be patient are that master's athlete who's been racing for 30 years and has pretty much, you know, done anything and everything. Then we're like, oh, shoot, like, what are we going to do with this person to try to get to get them better? Then you got to get really fine tuned things. So that's the person who needs to have the most patience, I think.
0: Well, that was the list of my questions, Sarah. Thank you for that. And I'm going to just open up the floor here and see if, you know, you've got other things you want to say or Glenn's got anything that he wants to throw
2: into the mix. It's really funny. When Joe told me he was going to have you on board, I'm like, this is great. And then he said, oh, by the way, she's not really big on FTP. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But it's really fun because you brought out something that's so critical to understand for our listeners, I think, because... People forget the fact that there's. They think about themselves. They don't think about how people from them are different. And like, I'm more of an endurance rider, so FTP Mm -hmm. is a big part of my coaching program. And I can tell you're more of a sprinter. And so it's very clear. I mean, obviously, first he was a sprinter. In fact, I'll never forget this. It's a great story. When I was, I was working on. um, I, I wanted to go after some sprint records. I thought I'll go for the sprint thing. Right? You know, I'm not a sprinter. Let's be honest. But I can go fast. But um, when Mark Tyson sat me down and said, okay, here's the deal, Glenn. You can't do any of these more workouts. I'm like going, those are my favorite workouts. You can't do them anymore. I'm like, um, not going to. He said to me, he, thought, he said, you won't want me to coach you. I go, why not? Because you won't like what I'm doing. And he's actually right, because you know every, every rider comes into this with certain things I like to do. I like to do long, maybe four or five hour rides, mm-hmm. or I like to do the really short, quick things, high intensity, but short and quick. And what's nice about this is that everyone's talking about FTP, it's everywhere. You know, twenty-minute power and how it relates. But if you're not running for hours at a time, and you're doing like maybe short criteriums or or sprints, or even like you know like pursuits, things of that sort, where they're they're intense, but they only last a couple of minutes, your FTP is not going to be that critical as far as what you're doing. It's really going to be that anaerobic power that you've got to develop. That's so much more important. So this is really great because I really I, I see the big picture this way because, like I said. We we come from two different worlds inside the same cycling side. I'm more of the endurance kind of rider. You're more of the sprinter type, and so clearly different program, different training programs, different ways of looking at the numbers, different way of, of working with athletes. It's so different when you come from the different worlds how you see the world, and it's great to see different perspectives all the time, which I love because we don't all have all the, we don't all have all the answers. We just like to pick everyone else's brains to get better at what we do.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and to that point. Um you know, just because I have this approach, and I say certain things, um, doesn't mean that it's for everyone. And I also feel strongly that me as a coach, I'm not for everyone either. I, I do really believe that you need to find the right coach for the right athlete, it needs to be a good fit. And for some people, you know, maybe I'm not that coach for them. Maybe there is some people that they're like, you know what, I really understand that I really... Uh, like her philosophy. And so I just want to emphasize that there are a lot of different coaches out there. There's a lot of different opinions and um, everyone will find what is meant for them. Like just keep finding that person that you align with and yeah, go for it.
0: Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to put your contact info in the show notes. So people, if they have questions for you, they can just reach out to you directly and thank you again.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening into our discussion with Sarah Fader about cycling training for the older athlete and how she helps her athletes get from where they are to where they want to be while avoiding injury. Check out the show notes to find links to her website and her contact info. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Glenn and I will be back soon with more useful information for wise athletes.